You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. But you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Show your support for Real Men Feel by shopping at realmenfeel.org slash swag, by visiting digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel, or even text us a tip. You can show some love for Real Men Feel by texting Real Men Feel, that's all one word, to 504-226-5306. You'll receive a link back to complete your tip and choose the amount. This is a weekly program and your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And uh, I'm very excited that I'm not flying solo for the first time in what seems like a long time. Glad to welcome back Apio Hunter. Hey, Andy. It is really, really good to be back. I admit that I have really missed just our, our weekly chats and being here. So it's a good feeling to be back home again. Cool. And where were you? I was down in Peru. Spent a couple of weeks down there. Um, it was just an amazing experience. Got to do a lot of stuff. Crammed a lot of uh, no, archaeological sites, museums, um, visits up into the Andes Mountains, spending time with my husband's family. And it was just, well, um, I, I'm ready to go back already, to be honest. Cool. So, so, so your husband is from Peru? Yes, that's correct. All right, that that's why I was assumed that you had been there before. I knew there was there's some reason I'm like, no, Peru is a connection. Peru, yeah. All right, now I get it. Exactly. Yeah. Now I understand my lies while you were gone, saying telling me, <laughs> oh, he's been there many times. All right. <laughs> in, in spirit, yes, it's true. I have been there many times in spirit. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, uh, uh, joining us tonight is uh, Mr. Robert Candell. He is a host of the Tough Love Podcast, an accomplished writer, teacher, coach, lecturer. Uh, since 2002, he's been guiding his audience on methods to improve communication, has helped build thousands of successful relationships, so maybe he can improve ours. <laughs> Definitely. No, <laughs> question, no question. Guaranteed in the show. Ooh. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, you've done over 2,000 live events, lectures, podcasts, and workshops uh, since 2002, um, so I'm glad to add one more to your, your, uh, your record, and, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So you've worked as, as a business coach and a life coach? Yes, currently. So, yes. so you currently do both? Yes. Cool. So, so how different is that? Or is it surprisingly not different? It's, it can be different, but it's often they merge. Because I tend to work with entrepreneurs more than anything, or small business owners, or small business teams. And what happens is the business life and the personal life are entwined like a DNA strand and where it's hard to tell where the personal life and the business life. So on the business life, I talk a lot about people's psychology and their self-sabotage and where they're stopping themselves and also their relationships because that could block the business. And also in people's personal life, you know, making money and finding their purpose and their success is a big part. So they tend to overlap quite a bit. Cool, cool. Yeah, that, that, that's what I always find. So that's, um, it's funny, it just seems to be kind of what, what way to call coaching or, or the niche seems to, to ebb and flow with things, but mm -hmm. it's all, yeah. Helping people clear their crap is kind of what it all comes down to, to me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
<clears throat> now it's interesting because I found the same uh, overlap with in, in my own in my day job. Um, you know, I work with, with a lot with with pros on my site where you know they are there to pretty much advertise their business. And as I'm showing them how to be successful on the site itself, there's a lot of that conversation about just the whole life, business, and everything else, and the self sabotage. Mm -hmm. So, yep, I see that a lot as well. Mm -hmm. cool. Oh yeah. And and what was uh what was your path that kind of got you in into this into the into coaching? Have, had you experienced coaching as as a client? Have you just always been naturally uh, a helpful person? Did people come and you know spill their guts to you growing up? Or well, my mom was a therapist, and so I grew up the son of a therapist, <laughs> which means that I was always around people telling my mom stuff. My my high school friends tend to talk to my mom sometimes more than me. And I went to college. I actually was the guy, the nice guy in the dorm that you could go and chat with or pretty much he would listen to you. It, it stopped me from getting some nookie, you know, from dating because I was the nice guy, the good friend. Uh, but I also learned to listen really well. Um, so that was kind of my early stages of coaching uh, back in the day. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I was often called the nice guy and really grew to hate that term as well. So yeah, yeah, it's awful. It's awful. But, you know, I learned to be friends with women. Mm -hmm. which in later in life has been a very powerful thing. Uh, but at the time, I was just like, I want women. I want experience. <laughs> and you know, they're like, well, I want to tell you about this boy problem. I'm like, all right. And treat me like crap. And I'm like, I could treat you well. But I couldn't say that because I was the nice guy. And yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yes, no yes, memories. Yes. <laughs> no, it could be the whole. It could be a nice guy um, support group call with some week in the future, Mickey. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but I definitely at least two or three episodes yeah. of this show. <laughs> but and so and the the part of that, that always drove me nuts was yeah, nice guys finish last. would just like pound it in. I don't even know where that originally came from. That that mm -hmm. cliche, that saying. But I am much like a, 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 what you're saying is as I grew older. You know, it's it's kind of the tortoise, the tortoise and the hare. The no, the nice guy kind of wins in the end, though. Right? Mm -mm. It's true. It's true. I mean, I have the mm -hmm. most amazing relationship with the most amazing woman, and so I'm grateful. So even at the time when I was younger, I felt like I was losing. By far, I feel like I've won the race. Cool. I won. I won it. I'm winning. <laughs> yeah, it's not over yet. You still got a ways yet. to go. Yeah, I got a long way to go. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, there was one phrase I saw. Uh, on, on your website earlier this week, and I'd never heard this before, and I just really liked it and want to ask you kind of what it means, but that you said you were once a man who was numb and dumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what time frame? What was that re referring to? I was pretty much numb and dumb the first 28 years of my life uh, when it comes down to it. Um, I was a nice guy, but I also put my attention on other people and refused to feel the extents of my own emotions. Uh, there's a great book called uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover, uh, an epic, horrible book, horrible, horrible book for men, because you read it and you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, no, that's me. So um, I was 28 years old and I was actually married to a woman I didn't quite know and couldn't feel. I was very successful. I was 28 years old working downtown San Francisco, six-figure income, the whole American dream. Mm. But we weren't really relating. My emotions were uh, not felt, and um, we were kind of passing each other in the night. And then my whole life really changed uh, around my 29th birthday when I took a first class. I actually took a class on sex with my wife. And when you're not having a lot of sex with your wife and she says, you want to take a class on sex, you answer, Yes, I'll take a class on sex. Yeah, it actually came out. Yes, I'll take a class on sex. And um, so I was sitting in this room in the circle, uh, my first class on you know, personal development class on sexuality. And the teacher asked me to introduce myself. So I'm like, you know, hi, Robert. And then I start to talk and I talk and I finish and I think it's pretty epic. And I was really smart. And I thought the teacher would clap and invite me up to teach with him. And instead he said, hey, you know, do you know your wife's crying? And she was sitting right next to me and I was so numb to feeling her and noticing her that in my introduction, I had been so chauvinistic and, and rude that she started to cry. And it was in that moment where I flashed of like, wow, I am pretty numb and that was a pretty dumb thing to do. And yeah. so that was the start of my journey because I said, I wanna understand this part of me. I wanna understand her and the whole world etch-a-sketched after that. So if you were numb and dumb, how, how would you describe yourself now? 
right now, um, I am a pretty amazing person <laughs> when it comes down to it. And I say this, uh, you know, it's very hard to toot your own horn in the world, but I've done some significant work in the 20 years. I just had my 48th birthday. So it's really been 20 years since that moment. And I can feel, I can sense, I know when my clients are, something's wrong with my clients, I'll send them a text. Hey, how's it going? They're like, how'd you know I was having a rough day? Or, you know, my wife comes in with a, something on her face, you know, like a, a flat face. And I'm like, hey, honey, what's up? She's like, nothing. And I'm like, hmm, are you sure? It's like, no, everything is fine, you know? And I was like, hmm, are you sure? And then finally, I was like, all right, I'm having this thing with my mom. And then all of a sudden, we start talking. And so where I was numb and dumb before, through deliberate work for 20 years, I really do have a pretty incredible spidey sense that something is amiss. And then I use my curiosity to find out to love the people I'm intimate with better. Was the spidey sense always there? You just weren't using it? Or is it truly something that you think was foreign and you developed it? My viewpoint on this is I think we all have a really strong spidey sense. I think we can read minds. There are stories of tribes in Africa where they don't have to talk. They actually have telepathy. They can sense each other from miles away because they don't have technology, because they, don't, they're, they haven't lost the sense. They still have the sense. I don't know if that's true, but it's a damn good story that I really believe. But I've, I've really shown myself that where I didn't have this sense before, I was very smart. I was very good at linear and strategy. Now I can really sense things I have no way to know. And when I teach, sometimes these things that come into my mind, I'm like, that wasn't me. <laughs> that was really smart. That was not me. Um, has really been advantageous. So um, I do think it's something I rediscovered. Cool. So would, would it, uh, go on up, yeah. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. Answer, ask your question, then I'll ask mine. All right. Well, I think we're kind of on the same lane because, uh, you know, yeah. we, we are both rather – uh, intuitive spiritual people we do a lot mm -hmm. of uh we're both kind of work in the Akashic records uh up here does some ch channeling it, we're mm -hmm. kind of all over there so do you do you kind of recognize that do you, would you call that intuition on yourself would you call that a, a connection to something bigger how, how do you reference that this, that spidey sense in um, a comic book way yeah um i so akashic records i have a client andrew bardis i don't know if you know him truly amazing he's the galactic historian you guys would dig him a lot. He's a pretty awesome guy. He is ridiculous at knowing everything. Um, but it's a different level where he can read into those systems. And I'm more on a pragmatic, really good poker player sense. I'm really at that more baseline abstraction, one-to-one -one relating. Um, so it's just, it's a different kind of intuitive. And I, I love all forms of intuition. I think it's all powerful. But the one I've really worked is, is reading people understanding people, feeling people, putting together the facts with the intuition to say really smart, hopefully helpful things to the people I love and my clients. As you were talking, I was reminded of a guest that we've had on the show before, Diane Collins, who, who uh, wrote the book, Do You Quantum Think? Mm -hmm. And you reminded me of a conversation that we were having with her about us living in a system and living in a holistic complete interconnected system where that mm -hmm. spidey sense, if you will, oftentimes is derived from that, that quantum connectedness, you know, the, the idea that, you know, the a butterfly, the butterfly effect that you know, you've probably heard of, you know, butterfly flaps its wings mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a hurricane somewhere else because it's, it's all interconnected. Um, so it's very interesting. You should bring it up that way, but you know, mm -hmm. talk about it from a base level. And I like to think of it as that just that interconnectedness, that quantum field, if you will, of that interconnectedness. Absolutely. I mean, you know about the limbic system and the brain and the effect it has. There's three parts to the brain. Mm -hmm. There's an autonomic system, which is your fight or flight and runs your, you know, the bodily functions. There's the cortex, which is a thinking part, and the least understood is the limbic system which is yeah. your feeling part. Um, and so your ability to feel is actually part of your biology. And, and when, like when a mother picks up a baby and, and puts it on her chest, it's actually their limbic systems interacting that calms the baby because the mother has a stronger, um, the stronger limbic system, she can actually calm the baby just with her mind. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah.
Instead of the going okay. down to her personal energy and what she's right. radiating, and yeah, all exactly. the right, all the yeah. So that's what all the things that some people think are woo woo were out there, and it yeah, scientists finding nope, that's actually nope. a part of us. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Love it. Again, it's a, there, there's nothing that's separate. Everything is interconnected in some way or another, whether it's energetic or physical or yeah, biological. Yep, makes makes sense to me. Yep. <laughs> there's a book called um, uh, General Theory of Love, uh, which is the best book ever for explaining how the brain works. I read it on the New York City uh, subways, short little stories. So General Theory of Love. General Theory best of book Love. Ever. Best book on that ever about the limbic system. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I've always I've always had a fun, you know, listening to and, and reading about the brain and how it works and how it can sometimes trick us and mm -hmm. how it just just the whole thing about how we as human beings how we have this thing in our head that both keeps us alive and screws us up big time. Mm -hmm. Completely utterly. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite books, uh, so I have a history of, of depression and suicide attempts, and, and mm -hmm. one of my favorite books full of just practical tips is, you know, how to stay alive when your brain's trying to kill you. <laughs> just the notion of just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true, and because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's helping you either. Like, right. It, yeah, so. It's, that book uh, sounds interesting. I got to find that one. <laughs> it's good. Um, so another thing I noticed on your website was a, in, in your video, you talk about that it, it's a tough time to be a man. Yes. And so could you explain? Could you little expand on that about what 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 right now is making this a tough time to be a man? It's so the first thing I want to say is just because I say it's a tough time to be a man doesn't uh, minimize or eliminate it's a tough time to be a woman. It's always been a tough time to be a woman, and so sometimes when people hear that dichotomy, they hear because I'm saying this, it means that it's not. And I get into a lot of arguments with women who are saying, "But it's really been hard to be a woman." I'm like, I agree. And that's not what I'm saying, but it's hard, you know, so I just want to make sure that's understood before I start my little dialogue around it. Um, I've noticed that there's been a lot of changes in the world in the last 30 years that have been uh, make a lot of changes. Women have actually risen up in their power. They've risen up in their status. Things like uh, if you look at the percentages of, of genders going to college in the 1970s, it was about 65 percent men and 35% women, and now it's reversed. Women are getting higher degrees, they're more at college, they're successful. Uh, the pay grade that was 64 cents in 1980 between women and men, now for millennial women entering the workforce, it's 93 cents. Um, and so all these things are changing. There's been a lot of women programs to allow women to expand and grow, and there hasn't been the same uh, advantages for men and boys specifically. There's some really great books out there, uh, Man Interrupted by the guy who did the Stanford Prison. Um, uh, it's a really incredible book. And there's a book called uh, The War Against Boys, um, which is also another great book that I've been reading in preparation for my book. But you just see statistical analysis after statistical analysis where the world is really opening up for women, which is wonderful, but it's really shrinking for men, which is not great because the dichotomy is happening. And so what's happening is women are becoming more empowered. Men who are used to being the dominant are not knowing who to be. And instead of stepping up and saying, okay, I've got to increase my game, they're actually giving up. And there's a higher percentage of uh, obesity. There's a higher percentage of gaming, boys you know, moving to gaming rather than interacting with people. Pornography is off the charts and ridiculous, especially with the advent of free porn. Uh, back in 2008, uh, the butterfly effect. There's actually the, this great, awful um, podcast or book called The Butterfly Effect about the event of free porn and the massive impact it's had. So um, men don't know who to be. And from that, there's been a lot of dissatisfaction. So it's a tough time to be a man because we don't know who to be in the world and women are noticing. You know, a lot of women are saying, men are acting more like boys than men. And a lot of men are saying women are acting more like men than women. And so there's a lot of missing each other in, in this uh, generation. And so, so this is different than the notion of um, guys being the nice guy. This is truly guys not knowing what to do at all. So they're not even being nice? Well, the nice guy 
um, response, let's call it that. And again, go back to No More Mr. Nice Guy to get the evidence. Uh, what he says, basically, Dr. Robert Glover says, is that guys are being nice to get the approval of women. In doing so, they push down all their emotions and all their angst. And so underneath this facade of, I am a nice guy, is seething anger and resentment, which women can feel, the men don't feel permission to express, and therefore there's a lot of disconnection. Um, there's another documentary called The Mask We Live In, which is about boys, you know, man up, don't be a pussy, don't cry, all these emotions that are, are denied. And men are suffering because we, 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 society, have created a prison where they can authentically ask for help and be themselves. So you mentioned that the world opening up and women rising up to more opportunities mm -hmm. and, and it's shrinking for men. Can it open up and grow for both, or will it always be one or the other rising and falling? Well, the good news is we have the millennials. <laughs> and the bad news is we have the millennials. Uh, God bless them. Uh, but the millennials uh, are going to change, in my opinion, are going to change the whole dynamic of gender. And uh, it's, But it's going to take a generation. So I think we have another 15, 20 years of mayhem in terms of, of gender dynamics not working. I think after that point, after a lot of resetting, um, I think things will change. I mean, look at the Me Too and the Weinstein effect, which is epically important in my point of view. But, you know, some men say, I've never been scared to be a man before because I'm afraid of my actions coming back at me and causing me harm. Do I hold the door open for a woman? Can I make a pass at a woman? Can I tell a woman she's pretty? I don't know. I might get trouble. I might end up in the news later. Um, and so there's extensive amount of fear. So to answer your question, I do think there's hope. I do think that we will we'll find some balance. I just think it's going to take a good 10 or 15 years to find it. And do you have a sense of like, what does that balance look or feel like to you? I see more equality uh, coming up. I see the thing about the millennials that are different from other generations I've seen and even the, the newer generation, um, you know, the whole Parkland students rising is so inspiring to me because you can see that the the advocates for it are women or boys and girls to be specific and they're both respected and empowered they're working together that kind of collaboration is the thing that i think is going to rise i see we're going to see less gender differences in the future uh, which will lead to more equality it might lead to a decrease in what's called polarity um, this is a David data difference between the polarity creates the sexual charge between men and women. So I think there might be a change in the way we view sexuality. Um, but I do see more uh, both equality and collaboration coming in these future gen generations. Cool. So, so the simplest way is just we'll, we'll, we'll be people. We'll be people. Less, less men and women, more people. Right. I mean, just look at the, let's go back the last 70 years. Let's go to like the 50s or maybe even like the Mad Men time. I guess that was in the 40s. What a serious difference in terms of what's allowable and what's not. I mean, you watch Mad Men and you cringe at the way men looked and treated women. And you know, to be honest, the way women co-created that situation of playing small. And, you know, now here we are and then, you know, turning into uh, 2020 and things are significantly changing. So it's exciting and it's gonna take some time to keep finding equilibrium. Right, cool. Because we, lately we've, we, we've done a lot of shows about Me Too and harassment and men being afraid to be men. And mm -hmm. I, I ask a lot of people, what, it, what does the future look like to you? And you've kind of had the, the clearest um, way to, to sum it up and share that. So mm -hmm. I, I appreciate your foresight and, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I yeah, actually, and a, a generation, that's not, that's not too long. That's not that, no. that too no. bad. That's very, that's doable. Well, it's a long time for the women now looking for a good man. And it's a long time for the guys now who don't know who to be and are slipping in. You know, uh, I've been reading a lot about isolation and the greatest fear of middle-aged men, which are mostly alone. There's more single adult Americans now for the first time in history, 50.2% of adults are now single for the first time in recorded history. So people are getting married later, uh, 28 for men, 26 for women compared to 20 to 22 about 20 years ago. There's, and kids are ha having kids less and later. There's all these things that are changing that are significantly impact the current state of romance. So 
it'll be messy for a while, but I do have faith it'll find its way. So I'm I'm kind of curious, you know, your thoughts about you know the message that we've been hearing for so long, for so many decades, is that men are responsible for all the ills of society. You mm-hmm. know, just that that drumbeat of beating up on men for all the bad things that have happened. You know, wars and the production of Donald Trump and everything else. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how how whether or not the millennials have. Re- accepted it, processed it, rejected it. Just kind of get your thoughts a little bit about that whole drumbeat of that message. Well, my unpopular opinion is that all genders co-created the current situation. Hmm. Women are as much responsible for the patriarchy as men. (laughs) Patriarchy was a great concept gone awry. Uh, You know, chivalry started for a reason to respect women so they could uh, procreate <laughs> and be, have space to have children, and it's just gone skewy. The Industrial Revolution really skewed a lot of things. Monogamy, you know, is a relatively new term. Marriage is is not what people expect. If you go back and look at some there's some great books out there, um, the the way we never were is a book around marriage. There's there's really interesting things that we don't think, and we think it's always been like this. It hasn't. So. Um, I'm not, it's hard to say because women were in disempowered and I don't want to minimize that, but mm-hmm. there's, there's always been a subtle co-creation where both gen, all genders, really there's not two genders, there's many genders, all genders have really played into the creation. And what I'm seeing in the last 40 years, uh, really um, with the Equal Rights Amendment and things that happened in the 70s, women are like, okay, this doesn't work for us anymore. And you'll just notice the world is changing really because of women. Women are stepping up and saying no, and women have the trump card. They create the children. And so there's been this uh, shift where women are finally like saying no mas, and they've led the tide for the change of the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm actually inclined to agree with your, with your point of view because I've kind of shared the same thing, just haven't often given it voice so mm-hmm. it may be unpopular but i tend i personally tend to feel that it is a lot more accurate than mm-hmm. a lot of people are willing to admit i'm a big fan of giving women the power they're due and For you know, sure, yeah. women <laughs> argue with me saying this is all men's fault i'm like why are you disempowering the power of your gender yeah you are party to this you are creating this and i'm so ha- thank you so much for your gender for changing it because i think this is a much better world for me to live in in a much better world for my daughters to live in. So I'm really excited to see where things go. Indeed, indeed. It's in the same way. Yeah. So Robert, do you think um, in this current state of, of men being confused, men being isolated, men not knowing what being a man means, are, are there any good role models of, of, a, of a man alive here and now that's a good, oh, that that's what being a man today looks like? That's so funny. I um. <clears throat> You know, one of my viewpoints in the book was um, looking for men out there who you can respect. And there's actually a lot less role models now than they were. So then I did some more research on it. And then I was like, huh, the role models we actually had weren't the best in the past. You know, like John Wayne is one of those epic role models. But I don't know if we want to follow the John Wayne you know, ethos anymore. I don't think that's quite the smartest thing ever. Um, so... Um, I think it's not so much male role models you want to find. It's, it's more internal. And you want to start to look at your bad behaviors, your poor habits that you want to improve on to find it. And I think men really need other men. I think this is a big piece. I know uh, one of my major issues in my life at 48, and I live in the Valley in a gated community with my beautiful wife and my two stepkids is I don't have a lot of in-person male friends. There's a lot more isolation that's going on now because men do need other men for reflection and to share emotions and to get approval and attention from. Um, so back to your question is I don't really have strong men. I've had great teachers who are men and they've been as flawed as everyone else. So uh, looking for the best from each person and finding out what works for me is the best advice I can give. Cool. And it's funny that you mentioned John Wayne. Um, but before we started the show, we talked about how kind of Real Men Feel began when I did a workshop that I called To Be a Man. And mm-hmm. I would put up a picture of John Wayne. Yeah. And millennials today, 
Don't know who that is. Don't even know who this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally don't know who that is. But, so then I throw up a picture of uh, Justin Bieber. I say, is this the motor man? Like, oh, that, that, no one would know who John Wayne was. And Justin Bieber always got a reaction of, oh, that's not a man. Uh, nope. <laughs> yeah. I've not know. spoken to a pro Bieber crowd yet. So <laughs> My stepkids don't know who the Beatles are. So it's, it's yeah. sad. It's sad. <laughs> sad. Sad. I guess we have to teach them. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I mean, but, and before the show, we start, we, uh, we all mentioned kind of Wayne Dyer a little bit. And that was always, once I began to, huh, yeah, realize being a nice guy was probably denying a lot of emotions and allow mm -hmm. all of my emotions and realize that I wasn't just this meat suit waiting to die. Um, that Dyer was really a role model for how I wanted to, to live and to be and interact with the world and create things. And... Yeah, I I haven't found the next generation of it, or maybe maybe it's you, Robert. Um, mm. But that's kind of yeah. I feel like my own hole of, you know, what to look forward to, what to what to look to as a living man to who's who's uh, walking the talk. Um, I've done a lot of research into men's books because I'm writing a book for men. It's called Unhidden: A Book for Men and Those Confused by Them. And so in research, you know, I've done a lot of looking for great books out there, and there's really not a great books for men. And so then I found out why, because 80% of books are bought and read by women. Yeah. So publishers are less interested in making books for men. I actually went to Hay House and, it, and I proposed it and they really liked my, my performance. They liked my platform. I had all the, but they're like, we're hundred percent women or 98% women to read our stuff. So we can't do a book for men. And I was like, huh, okay, that makes sense. And you go into Amazon and look for, uh, you know, men's books, and most of them are 20 to 30 years old. You know, uh, Iron John by Robert Bly, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, Dr. You know, John Gray. Um, uh, there are books out there. Uh, Neil Strauss, uh, The Game, God knows why that's a book for men. Um, the, the Truth by Neil Strauss, another, he actually has an amazing book. So there, it really is, we're missing books, and we're missing the conversation, the opportunity. Um, I did some research into something that's called the MRA, which is the Men Rights Activism. And uh, there was a time, it was about two years ago or three years ago, there's a big uproar about them. And I was like, this is dumb. Why do, the MRA, why do we need, men don't need men rights activism. And I was like, this is stupid. And then the more research I did, I was like, oh, the greatest thing that men are denied is the opportunity for them to feel their emotions, a place. And they are suffering under the weight of the prison that's co-created by society. And so a lot of men are isolated, a lot of men are suicidal, a lot of men are, are self-inflicting wounds and self-sabotaging just because they don't have the freedom to be all of them. And so my book and my work is really dedicated to create a space, a conversation for both men and women to fully have their full emotions. Hmm. So I, I love that you mentioned MRA because uh, in our last show, we talked about MGTOW, the men going their own way movement, which which yeah. which members have described to me as a philosophy, and it's more extreme than MRA. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, our last show, I I we got more negative comments and attacked and called names than anything in our in our. Congratulations, history. that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know I did love it because I'm afraid of hitting a nerve. And I've yeah. actually got a couple guys mm -hmm. that dropped the anonymity and hiding and are going to be on a show next month. Wonderful. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to having them tell me what they're about instead of people t t calling them and labeling them from outside but they seem to be taking the notion of yep i'm not having kids yep i'm staying single and i've never been happier but saying it almost like an angry line to themselves sort of way it feels like to me um but it, did you research did you get into that that philosophy at all the people that oh yeah yeah I mean, it's, it's not just the MRA. There's actually a subset in Japan. Japan's really interesting around this. So there's a subset of, of, of Japanese men. And the percentage of men in their 30s, I'm going to have to get the statistic right. Actually, if I do this wrong, please forgive me. It's a while since I saw this. But there's something like 27, 28% of Japanese men under 30 are still virgins and have no desire to actually interact with a woman. They're actually uh, more stated towards sex dolls video games and pornography, and which is significantly impacting the whole Japanese culture, 
because of course, you know, people are living longer and without the younger generation, it upsets the whole ecosystem. And Japan, of course, is a huge country. And so there's this culture of just men giving up. I think I mentioned this, you know, in the beginning, it's not just men who are angry. It's, it's, it's a culture of men. This is too hard. I don't understand it. Women are disapproving. Women are angry. And why should I bother? I can get, I can go to a porn site, any free porn site, find any kind of porn I want, 10,000 videos on any simple subtopic. I can pick my subcategory, masturbate, get gratified, go to bed, drink a beer. And it's an epidemic of, of people not you know, welcoming. So there, you know, I say a lot that you know, men are dumb and women are angry. And really what's happening is, is that men are not feeling approved of, they don't have the ability to approve of themselves, and so what they're doing is they're dis- disconnecting, they're detaching. And because of that, women are just like, hey, where are the men? We're getting angrier. And we have this cycle of increasing chasm between the genders. Christian Amanpour on CNN actually has a series. And I saw the first episode last week, and it was in Japan. And yeah. your, your stat, you, you are remembering her correctly, because I recall it from the show. So Yeah, good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I remember being just shocked. The, 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 but yeah, and, and I th- yeah, it's too hard. It's the... Uh, Kind of the the old bad um, sex caper comedy of kids mm-hmm. and going all out and I got to get laid and people like oh no nope, give up I'll just yep. rent a video and get drunk and I'm good yeah exactly <laughs> God I don't mean to be depressing <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I will say it again I do think there's hope and I think it's going to be a mess for a generation that's my viewpoint. So you so really think like the, the current gen well it's what's if it's the millennials are going to save it then is it it's our generation that that's that's given up and the people that have given up they're they're kind of beyond salvation. I don't think it's just one generation. I think it's across the board. Okay. Um, I think there is a lot of isolation and loneliness going on out there. Uh, the Boston Globe did an article a couple of years ago about uh, men fear isolation more than uh, cancer or emphysema, they, they're afraid of dying alone. Um, you know, seen, it's, it's, it's a scary time out there. And so I don't think it's just one age group. Yeah. And, I'm, and millennials are just hopefully, it goes the way I think it is, where millennials be like, I'm not following the way you did it. I mean, the whole dating structure has changed. I'm sure you've heard this once or twice before. And I'm 48. And so when I was romancing and dating and courting, it was pretty straightforward. There's a girl you liked, you flirted, someone you met at work, you asked him out for a dinner, you asked him out to the movies. It was a one-on-one experience. And then really with the generation after me, the Y generation, um, what happened was they tend to go out in groups. Like my nephew is 22, 23 now, and he would talk about, how they would just go out with groups and then they would hook up, you know, from the group, but there was group dating. And now with millennials, it's even going, the, the current state of romance has really shifted. Uh, the advent of the cell phone, the advent of electronic communication has significantly altered the way people communicate and relate. The Tinder revolution, you know, several billion downloads of Tinder and people constantly using that uh, to have higher quantity of interactions, but lower quanti- uh, quality. quality and so what's happening is people are going on a coffee date. Uh, it doesn't work out. They leave, they pick up their phone, they go to Tinder, the night's still young. Maybe I can find someone else to hook up with. Uh, there's none of this, this uh, refractory period between uh, re- uh, rejection. There's not less time to feel the feelings. We're moving really quickly uh, in the fact. And also, if you're in a relationship and you hit a bump, you know, in the past, you know, you'd work really hard to get those dates. You stay in the fire, you stay in the connection. And now they're like, well, I hit a bump. That was fun. I'm going to ghost you. Ghosting meaning just exit without communication and go to Tinder and find someone else because Tinder actually enlightens or shows a man's gaming hunting aspect. And it's a very different experience for a man than it is for a woman. Or the masculine versus the feminine is probably a better way of saying that. You know, during this conversation, I'm just sitting here in the back of my mind thinking, it's probably a good thing that we don't have the holodecks from Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Imagine where that would go and the, the whole level of, uh, of ghosting and not, not interacting at all. Mm-hmm. Existed. Oh, well, it's soon. Virtual reality yeah, is a breath crazy. away. Yeah, and it's, it's right. here. You know, holodecks are coming. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
just oof, boy. You know, speaking uh, speaking to the whole dynamic of you know the millennials, perhaps even the gener generation Z, which is which comes after the millennials. Um, maybe you could speak to the, the dynamics of communication a little bit more about mm. you know how how those two generations tend to communicate with each other, particularly different genders. Uh, communication is my love. I love communication, mostly because people are really trained to be mediocre communicators. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not people's fault. We're taught to withhold. We're taught to hide. We're taught to wear masks. Uh, you don't really reveal yourself to your intimate partner until several months in. Uh, and a lot of, there's a lot of betrayal in that. Um, people are constantly having emotional affairs, if not physical affairs. And so there's, there's really a, a tendency to lack of honesty, uh, white lies running the show rather than fully being who you are. So I advocate 100% honesty with your partners. And I advocate uh, creating the space and rewarding your partner for them to be honest with you, which is something that isn't talked about. Most people don't make it safe for their partners to tell the truth and then get mad when they are emotionally cheating or physically cheating. Um, in terms of differences between genders, uh, you know, I tend to talk about masculine versus feminine communication. Uh, and the basic, um, the basic feeling behind this is that the masculine communication is to produce and create, to move objects, to create actions. Feminine tends to communicate, to create connection, to enforce intimacy. And so a big difference between men and women, if a man's a masculine communicator and a woman's a feminine communicator, a woman will say something or create a problem as a way to connect to the man, to reveal different parts, to create intimacy. And a man will hear that as, oh, I must fix it, must fix it now. And so uh, there's a difference in goals of the communication. Um, I was having this relationship, and I'm, I've been doing this for a long year, and I still falter, and but about three or four months ago, I was sitting with my wife and she was telling me about the kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, this is what we do. And then her face got skewed up and I was like, what's up? She's like, I just wanted you to validate my feelings. And I was like, oh, oops, sorry. Slipped into the masculine there. She's like, yeah, you did. I'm like, yeah, I just went into the masculine. And so I apologize. And now I actually take that extra step every time to say, okay, you know, I want to hear your feelings first and then let's move into the action together rather than me being the guy just trying to fix everything. So does making it safe for hundred percent honesty, that doesn't mean like I promise not to be upset. It, it means allowing for upset to come from honesty and full reactions or, or, or what, what does it mean? It means that you both allow each other to be human. And even if you get upset with something, your first response is thank you for being honest with me or I appreciate you revealing this part of me, a part of you, excuse me. And this is my response to it. And then, so if partner A says, you know, something chargy or something challenging, partner B will be like, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate you telling me that. You first say, I'm just glad that you told me. Okay, my response to it, the impact that has on me is A, B, and C. And the person, partner A will listen and say, well, thank you for telling me your reaction, telling me your impact. And then your, the response, my impact or your impact is blah, blah, blah. And you get into a collaboration over the issue. You work into the motivation of why partner A did that in the first place. Partner B can see like, wow, you know, like I was just coaching two people this week on one partner cheating. And I said the charges thing to the, to the person who was cheated on. I said, you know, have you seen your co-creation of him cheating. And she was like, what? He's the asshole. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but he's the jerk. He's the one who did it. I'm like, yeah, but do you see how he was telegraphing he was going to do this? His needs weren't being met. You're obsessed with work. You're gaining weight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then in that, she started to see how she co-created the infidelity. And so if they had more open communication, I think he would have said, you know, I'm having these feelings, I'm having these thoughts about cheating with my ex-girlfriend. And she's like, ah, but at least I'm glad you told me before you did it. Here's the most interesting one I've ever run across. I was coaching a high-end New York escort, a beautiful young thing, you know, $800 to $1,200 per hour escort in New York City. 
And, you know, I coached her for 10 months and, and, and amazing, brilliant human being. Anyway, she said to me about six months in, she says, the funny part is, is that my clients would rather be doing the things with me, with their wives than me. But because the wife is so closed to this part of me, I have to hire you, cheat, to have my needs met. And it changed my whole perspective on something, you know, the whole perspective on it, because I saw where one partner won't even listen, people are going to do what they're going to do to get gratified. So both people are responsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always been a firm believer in the whole co-creation. Well, actually, let me me backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. Within the past four years, I have been a very passionate believer in that whole co-creating thing. Mm -hmm. when the, you know, when, when you are talking to your, to your clients and you're coaching them, do, do you have them look at themselves first or do you look at, have them look at the, just the whole co-creation aspect of it? I mean, how do you, how do you typically approach that with them? It, it really depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's not one shoe that fits all, obviously. Sometimes mm-hmm. the partner, let's just use the example of cheating. Sometimes the partner who was cheated on just needs to rant about the other person for a minute, an hour, a day, a week, a month. And they've got to run those feelings because if I start to go with their own responsibility before they've emptied out their charge, it's a fool's errand, basically. Mm-hmm. So I use my intuition to figure out what's the point where they're uh, it's positive or impactful for them to communicate and to the point where it drifts into a toxic, you know, ranting about their partner. When I feel the toxic coming, I'll be like, okay, great, we're done. <laughs> okay, now let's start to look at your responsibility of how you co-created. This actually gives them the power back. You know, you're, you know, we're totally disempowered when it's always his fault or her fault. When you actually say, wow, I co-created this, it's actually empowering. It actually feels good once people get there. Um, Sometimes I'll start right off, depending on the person and their own connection to themselves, to be like, okay, DCA did that? And like, yeah, yes, I did that. And we can talk Mm -hmm. about that. So it's very specific. Um, So if you're you're arguing with your partner, I don't recommend you you do this yourself. Yeah, I cheated, but look how you co-created it. No, not a good technique. You know, it's... (laughs) Let that person really run their feelings and their charge. Don't defend yourself, you know, answer your questions, let them run the charge. And then you can say, well, I want to tell you the motivation I had for this. You know, you've been distant and I try to talk to you about these feelings time and time again. Um, You know, here's a specific example where I was speaking about how lonely I am and it felt like you, you heard me, but then you went right back to work. Um, Cheating on you was a really bad mistake. And I apologize for that. But here's the reason. And then if the relationship is strong enough, you'll start to see. Um, so it's, it's a tender, vulnerable, slow, can be really slow process. But to have the intimacy you want, it's mandatory. Sure. So correct me if I'm wrong. This all feels like it is the kind of the definition, the, all these examples of living unhidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's, it's 100%, 100% honesty. Is that, is that the key? Or yep. there, yeah, all right. What, yep. what, and what, what, what are secondary um, elements of, of living unhidden? Uh, responsibility, personal responsibility, I think is really important. I think it really starts with that. There's, well, actually it starts with self-love. I think self-love is the most important piece to any positive, optimal relationship where you really sit with um, finding approval from yourself. We are trained, especially men, are to look externally for validation. If I have a hot wife, I'm doing well. If I have a shiny sports car, I'm doing well. If I have a powerful job, I'm doing well. If I have this bank or this trinket, I'm doing well. And to me, that is the worst habit men have because then they're depending for the elements of external validation for them to feel good. And so what I teach men to self-validate, and that's why I'm able to say I'm awesome because I spent 20 years learning to self-validate. Then I don't depend on my wife or my students or 
my money or my, my success rate to feel good, I already feel good by myself. Then the positive uh, validation that comes from other people is the gravy. I still accept it. It feels great. Right. And I'm not dependent on it. Right. When you build this self-empowerment, then you're a whole person, not looking to be filled up by another person. And from that, when your partner gets mad at you and says, you're a jerk, um, you could be like, you're so good with yourself. And I was like, yeah, kind of was a jerk. You're right. That was a bad communication. Or, you know, I didn't communicate that well. Like, yeah. it's not like my whole identity is being shaken by the anger of my partner. I'm actually seeing it. And so it creates so much flow. So yeah. self-validation, which leads to more responsibility. In the responsibility, it actually feels good to tell the truth because that increases the intimacy between you and the partner. It's not easy. It just feels good. Because I know every time I lie to a partner and they buy the lie, I know they're relating to the lie and I can't trust them because I know they don't really see me. So every time I lie, it's like shooting myself in the foot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a question that just popped up in the chat about uh, about chronic cheaters, kind of going mm-hmm. back to the whole, you know, the, the excuses and, and the chronic cheaters and so forth. Could you kind of talk to that a little bit about the dynamic of, of that and, and how it fits into the conversation? Sure. Uh, chronic cheating to me is another form of addiction. Addiction has a very negative connotation in the world. I think addiction is part of the human condition. Um, P. Melibody's Codependence No More, first paragraph, first chapter, basically says that 99% of the world, of the Western world, I think she said, is codependent. And I was like, oh, man. But because um, we're raised in a codependent society. And so I think chronic cheaters are people who have an addiction to the thrill the danger, the self-sabotage of getting caught. Because you don't know what a chronic cheater is because they've gotten cheated time and time again. So if you have a chronic cheater, there's a thrill, just like gambling, just like alcohol, just like shopping, just like food addiction, uh, cocaine. There's, there's different receptors in the brain that release dopamine to actually feel good. It actually is a habit on some level. That's on one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin, a person who remains with a chronic cheater, to me, there's evidence of low self-esteem that they keep themselves in a situation with a chronic cheater. So you can blame the chronic cheater if you want, but I look at both people co-creating the system where the person can get off cheating and then he or she actually enjoys the thrill of the, the victim you know, getting mad and the victim actually gets off or gets some kind of energy for being in this situation time and time again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's chronic co-creating. It's chronic co-creating. Right, if it's co-creation for once, it's got to over and over too. Right, I mean, just think about it. And I, I, hate, I hate that I'm blowing some people's you know, viewpoints about this, and I love that I'm blowing people's viewpoints on this, but <laughs> you get a lot of cred for pain in this world. You get a lot of credibility for, for uh, pain, for bad things happening to you, I mean, think about on the bus. You can you sit on the bus and you're sitting uh, next to these people, and and the one person's talking about the pain, their backache, their boss, their mother-in-law, all the things that are wrong with them, and and you're just like you just say, well, it's nothing new. Now imagine the same experience, and the woman, the person's talking about the great sex they had, the mind-blowing orgasm, the the epic love they're happening, and then you'd get up and move away from them because what is wrong with that person? They're so happy about the last great orgasm they had. That is improper to speak of nice things on the bus, and that's our society. You get a lot of cred for getting cheated on and a lot of um, attention. So, it's complex. Yeah, yeah, being full of self-love. You're kind of looked at as uh, what's wrong with you? you? Egocentric, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I really, when I was depressed, I really thought happy people were insane. They were in denial of the realities of how shitty everything really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's what we swim in. We're fish swimming in a sea, a society of disapproval. We're we're fish swimming in this pain-based reality. And so, you know, the work I've done is to rise up from this scarcity-based mentality that we live in to a place of abundance where I see everything as abundant. And that's changed my whole viewpoint on life, better relationships, more clients, more money, more time for myself, more, um, more self-love, 
uh, more space for me to make miscues or mistakes. Oh, well, you know, I had one epic success in my life of business. I built a business to an international eight-figure firm. Um, you know, co I was the co-creator of that. And I also had one epic failure where I built a business in Los Angeles that totally, utterly failed miserably. And so both are, I call successes because I learned from the, the successful business and learned from the failing business. And that's because I have a lot of space for self-love. Hmm. Yeah. yeah they, when, when we don't, when anyone doesn't love themselves and to put the pressure on someone else, like mm -hmm. no other human being can love you enough to fill your, your self-hatred or your lack of ability to really hold on to your self-validation. Right. right. The Buddhists call that a hungry ghost. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> the hungry ghost is depicted as a being with a really long, thin net, a bloated stomach, and they can't eat enough ever. Mm -hmm. And so hungry ghosts are looking in present time to fix the pain of the past. And hungry ghost is a very, um, another big epidemic in our society. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. So are, are these all sort of the topics you, you cover on the, uh, the Tough Love podcast? Yes. Yes, this is what I do uh, <laughs> every week on some level. Yeah. Well, it sounds very uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I do a 20-minute rant on a topic, and I wax the poetic about what I believe in and how I've moved through a lot of these things. A lot of my podcasts are in real time, things that are happening for me. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, tend to do coaching sessions, live coaching sessions. I'm always looking for people to come on the show and be coached for free. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, please, it's the hardest part of the job is getting people to come on the show. Um, and I love it. Um, it can be totally anonymous. You don't have to say your name or anything. Uh, but that's my thrill is helping people in, on the show. All right. Well, how can people find out about that? How can they volunteer? How can they connect with the show? Uh, come to my website, my new website. It's called robertcandell.com. K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. On there, you'll find information about the new book. My podcasts are listed on there, how to volunteer, how to get on my mailing list. Um, I'll be putting up some free products. Uh, there'll be some products. And eventually, um, I'm doing a membership site. So there's a whole plan for the next year. But just go to robertcandell.com. Everything is housed there. Great. So, so is kind of the coming year, everything coming together on, under this, uh, the notion of living unhidden? That's the idea. I mean, I've been, I didn't really want to write a book. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to write a book. And then Morgan, my muse, uh, you should write a book. I'm like, oh, I don't want to write a book. And then I just had the flash like, oh, I have to put all these ideas in one book. And so it's really been a thrill and a pleasure to write this book. And I'm planning to release it November 4th, 2018. If all things go well, please don't hold me to that. That's the plan. Um, but it's been a really exciting process to get all these stories and ideas into one book. And uh, so far, it's been pretty well received. So uh, cool. again, robertcandell.com to find out the book. Beautiful. Beautiful. And how long have you been doing the Tough Love podcast? I started in October 2015. I started okay. really because I was so tired of running workshops. I'd done 10 years of workshops, and I was sick and tired of the enrollment. I was like, I never want to do this again. <laughs> but I still have things to say. And I was like, oh, I'll do a podcast, not knowing any idea how to do a podcast. So it was my house in Venice Beach without a microphone, without a headset, Finnegan the dog in the background. The Venice uh, fire department was three blocks away, and the sound quality is awful. Um, so um, I just said, I'll try it, and I just haven't stopped since then. So I think I just published show 124. Nice. Um, it's now twice a week. Uh, shows come up, and it's on iTunes and Stitcher, your favorite podcast app, and uh, it's really my pleasure. It's it's uh, it's thrilling to do it, and um, I've gotten good feedback, and yeah, I'm really proud of the output of it. Cool, cool. So it sounds like that, and and well, the, the the book release is really kind of reshaping your your business world, at least it seems. My truest desire is to get in front of people uh, in live speaking. I don't know if you know who Henry Rollins is. Um, He's an epic spoken word artist, been doing it for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And he was my hero. Talk about role model. He was my hero when I was growing up. And so my, my desire is really to get in front of audiences and speak and turn people on. Cal uh, Kreese is another guy that's doing it really well these days, uh, really impressed by him. And um, so I, I thought I could just start a streaking career, but it'd be better to have the book. So it's been a two-year investment 
to enhance my speaking career uh, to get there. Now, if you're listening and you want a speaker, I will go anywhere and speak anywhere uh, if the time and energy and energy exchange is right. Um, so I love speaking in front of people. It's a skill of mine, but really it's about getting in front of people. And I have one gig that's possible teaching uh, 13 and 14 year olds uh, in Austin, an Austin school. Um, that's forming. I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I'm really excited about the notion to get in there young. Yeah. And again, I'll speak much more politely than I probably did on this podcast and speak to our <laughs> listening. But those kids are smart and they know a lot more than we think they do. And to oh, give yeah. them permission and the power of communication. I mean, I would love to make a career of speaking to high schoolers and college grads, college people to educate them and share my experience so they don't have to same, make the same mistakes I did. That's great. I love that. I really love that that yeah. vision. Yeah. It's beautiful. All right. Well, let, let's get the request coming in. Visit robertcandell.com. Speaking opportunities, kids of all ages, students of all ages, no, no bar, no holds barred. Yep. And if you just want, you know, I do private coaching as well. And, or if you just want to chat, um, there's a way on my website to sign up for a 45 minute consultation. No pressure. If you just want to chat about it, I, you know, I really do like giving back. Um, so if you just want to chat, please sign up for a session and we can chat. So, so after all of this, it, it, it just sounds like to me, if someone contacted you said, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur struggling with how to get the, the right CFO for my company would really feel boring to you. It's not because companies talk about human dynamics. I mean, it is ridiculous. I have a company with an, a couple in ex relationship, uh, ex romantic partners, and that is, you know, watching the dynamics if they grow, they're a really successful business. I help a law software company uh, with a 25 member team, and it is nonstop. The show, the the uh, soap opera keeps going uh, and I love them. I really care about the people. So no, there's no lack of drama in businesses. So I'm thrilled to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. And is there anything uh, on the horizon beyond the book? Do you have a next, next goal or daring to think about that beyond November yet? Or Oh, plenty. I have plenty of plans. Um, I mean, really the main thing I want to do is get on stage. I'd like to do a TED talk or TEDx talk specifically. That's a big goal of mine. Um, and I'd love to just speak. I'd love to be on the road you know, 20, 20 weeks of the year, you know, really get out there and do my thing. I'd love to teach workshops. I'd love to get involved uh, with other big, um, there's a lot of great organizations out there that I don't have the cred now to do. And so writing a book and hopefully having a successful book will get their attention um, and out there. And so I really just want to pass on this message that any limitations you have are self-imposed. And any belief system you have that you can't have what you want is bullshit. And you really, it doesn't mean you can have it tomorrow. It might not even be for a year, but you can head in the direction of your desire. You're not stuck. You know, 99% of the world, you know, or listening to this podcast is not stuck. There are people who can't get out of their situations or in countries where they, they can't. I, I really want to speak that. But most people, if you're not happy in the situation you are, you're only trapped because you're keeping yourself trapped. And I do believe you can move into the next evolution of your life. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you were, were all uh, a victim or hero of the story that we tell ourselves the most. Yeah. I say victim or villain because villains actually start the game always. Lex Luthor is always starting the game for Batman. So that's my <laughs> viewpoint. Be the villain. Be the villain in your life. It sounds sexier. <laughs> That sounds, uh, a, that sounds like a whole new, uh, another book idea there. <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. All right. Don't worry. It's right. Gosh, I was going to say, speaking of villains, my dog is trying to be a villain right now. He's just like reminding me, I want to go outside. Oh, poor guy. We'll, we'll ignore him for a bit longer. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. So then, well, for the sake of Apio's dog, I guess we can wrap this up as well. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you getting peed on your leg or something. But uh, <laughs> so again, for uh, the, so the book is coming out in November. November fourth is the goal. November fifth, excuse me. November fifth is the goal. And what's the full title again? Unhidden: A Book for Men and Those Confused by Them. So was the discovering that publishers didn't care about a book for men? Is that where the uh, and those <laughs> confused by them? My, I, I really just looked at one publisher and I have a friend in the business. She's asked, you have to look for 75 or 80 of them. 
And I just decided after rejection of one, I want to run this first run by myself. I want to self-publish and create the motion. And then if a publisher wants to pick me up for a second run, I'm a total yes to that. Um, but I really want the freedom. You know, publishing can take 18 to 24 months after you have your contract. I didn't want to wait. I was ready for this to come out. Self-publishing is so powerful these days. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm not a no to publishers. I just want to get this book out there and I'm glad to work with someone in the future. Beautiful. It's interesting because the publishing industry has been changing so much lately. It's almost as if the publishers would prefer to have somebody to self-publish first. That way they have the platform and then they swoop in. Yeah. So it seems yeah. to be almost going in that direction. Yeah. yeah. There's so many different, I mean, evolutions of different publishing options. It's mind boggling, co-publishing, <laughs> and there's really a lot. Of, it's incredible these days with technology. So yeah. I'm going to self-publishing to start and then we'll see where it goes. Yep. Uh, that's yep. awesome. I'm sure soon you'll just be like an injection. Get a, get a shot of Robert. I'm like, oh, great. Now like I know. Like the all Matrix, it'll download. Yeah. Yep. You know. <laughs> Cool. And have you have you come and speak to large larger and larger groups as well? That's the idea. That's that'd be yes. my honor. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. So uh, again, thanks for joining us, Robert. I, I really appreciate the the depth of of knowledge and feeling that you bring to all that you're doing. Thank uh, you so much. It's been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Cool. Wish you tremendous success you. with with the book launch, and we look forward to to seeing that and reading that and seeing you on uh, larger and larger stages around the globe. Thank you. Reaching younger and younger audiences. That's the idea. Cool. And I have to add in there, thank you for helping to facilitate the conversations as well. Oh, my pleasure. It's important. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. And uh, so everyone visit realmenfeel.org uh, for the blog post on this. And I will do my best to capture every book that Robert mentioned. And we'll have this great syllabus of, uh, of all of the, uh, <laughs> the conversation tonight and, and ongoing and previous. But, uh, again, thanks once again for sharing all of your, your valuable input, information, and experience. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Yes, have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next week, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Show us some love by visiting realmenfeel.org slash swag or digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.